think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Welcome to the Take and Read Podcast. This is Pastor Chad here, and joining me yet again, a continual, ongoing guest who I dearly enjoy having, a dear brother, Tyler Smith. How you doing, brother? I'm good. It's a good day anytime I get to see you again. Oh, thanks, buddy. Well, tell me, catch me up. Uh, you know, you're you're about a year, maybe six months into this new life, not touring, not music but definitely busy. So if you had to describe how your time is spent in this season, what's it look like? I thought you were going to say six months into being a born-again Christian. <laughs> well, there's that too, right? I mean, <laughs> a, a lot happened six months ago. <laughs> your life was yeah. dramatically turned upside down. So yeah, yeah, speak to that too. I would love to hear six months in, how is your life completely redefined? Um. Well, I could tell you what I'm struggling with now, and that is being uh, my relationship with sin. Um, mm. You know, not that I thought that, oh, I'm born again and I'm perfect. Nobody's perfect. We're forgiven our past, present, and future sins, but I'm just more aware of my sins these days. Um, and when something happens where I am aware of a sin, it's, it's obviously first, first thing is repentance and asking for forgiveness, mm -hmm. but it, just, you knowing my personality and having check boxes and check marks of drinking my water and doing my workouts and doing all yeah. this. And so when something blindsides me, sin, I'm like, where did that come from? And why did I mm -hmm. fail? And so I guess I'm struggling with, Maybe it's, um, you know, the law, the legalism part of it. And maybe mm -hmm. you could help me with that on this call or yeah. after. But um, I str I'm struggling with that of being perfect. Yeah, there was a, I mean, you are articulating basically the, the, the mindset of many of the Jews before Christ, right? There was this sense that they were given the law, and they were told to uphold the law. And so they, they were given the law in Exodus, and there were the original 10 commandments, and then after that came 52 more commandments on, this is how you're to conduct life. This is what it looks like to, to walk and obey God's commands and be God's people defined by his law. Well, beyond that, then you have all the Levitical rules and, and laws, and so even more are are added to that. But then beyond that, beyond what God gave, historically over the course of hundreds of years, the Jews started to establish even more rules and regulations so that they wouldn't break the law. So they created more laws, more rules to keep them from getting even close to violating God's rules. And so they started to heap up all of these additional requirements and restrictions in order to try to kind of keep them from from getting off track and and that culminated in this idea of a complete and utter legalistic religious system that was 
overbearing. And Jesus even confronts the the teachers of the law and the gospels, and he says, you know, you're heaping up all these rules that you yourselves can't even keep, and people are absolutely suffocating under all of these rules. And this is this is totally not what what has been intended. And so there's there's definitely that urge, I think, in in us, all of us, that we go, okay, I hate failing. I don't want to break the rules. So what can I do to set up additional guide rails so that I don't get even close to breaking the rules because I hate being convicted of sin. I hate breaking the rules. I hate letting God down. Like all of these things that come into our mind and, and it just, and so I think that's a real struggle. I just want to recognize that's that's real, Tyler. That's not That's not just you. A lot of people are in that boat and they go, man, I hate messing up. How do I keep from messing up? And and so that that always has to bring us back to the grace of Jesus Christ, that he didn't save us in order to then us live out the rest of our days in perfection. But his his salvation, his grace has been extended to us so that we would, motivated by love, pursue him and walk with him and follow him. But discipleship is not a one-time event, but it's a lifetime of following after him. And there's this powerful passage that comes in Colossians 2, and it's I think it's around verse seven, and it says, and Paul says, in the same way you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And so that gets to this core of, well, how do we first receive Christ? It's through two things, faith and repentance. So we trust him, we trust all that he is, all that he's accomplished, we believe his death, his resurrection, and we believe all of that accomplished for us this the salvation that we are now new creations in Christ. We're, you know, we get baptized, and so we're baptized in likeness to his death and raised out of the waters to walk in newness of life. Well, we don't always experience that newness of life. We mess up. And so then what? Well, that's repentance, right? Repentance isn't just a one-time thing, but it's a lifestyle of every day as I walk with the Lord and I read the word, I'm gonna be aware of ways in which man, I'm off track. My thinking, my acting, my words, they're not aligned with what God has for me. But I recognize I'm no longer defined by that. I'm not defined as a broken person. I'm not defined by my sin. I'm defined by the blood of Christ. And so I simply acknowledge that sin and I turn from it and I turn to Christ. I think sometimes we get we get sidelined and the enemy likes to show us our sin and our failures. And then we focus and we fixate on the sin, the failure, and we go, okay, how do I stop doing that? And I, I'm going to come up with ways. I'm going to figure it out. I don't want to do that. And so I fixate. Well, what we're doing is we're focused on our sin still, even though we're trying to stop it, we're fixated on the sin and we're not fixated on Christ. And so yeah. repentance is acknowledging the sin and going, man, that's messed up. That's not who I am. That's not what Christ has redeemed me from. So I turn to Christ and I fixate on him and that allows me to walk in newness of life. And that's what yeah. sanctification is. Sanctification is this process of us becoming like Jesus over time. And every time we mess up, we acknowledge it, we turn from it, and we turn to Christ. And in that moment, we become a little bit more like Jesus. We become a little bit more aligned every time we acknowledge that sin and we turn from it. And then when the Spirit convicts us and we go, I'm, a, I'm engaged in something or I'm going down a track that is not of the Lord, 
and we that the spirit of god is is prompting us and and telling us hey don't do that don't go there don't go there don't say that don't do this and we go okay and we obey in that moment sanctification happens and we come a little bit more like jesus because we walked in obedience in that moment and we've turned from our sin and we've said no to it so that's what i would say to to all of that that's a long answer but it's not something that you struggle with alone it is I think it is one of the great struggles of all new believers. We go, okay, I have new life in Christ. I'm excited. Then we get sideswiped by sin, or we go, man, how come I'm not? How come I'm not fixed? How come I'm not all together? How come I haven't gotten it all figured out? And it's a process. It's definitely a yeah, process. Yeah, it's a, it's a thank God of of who I am today. You know, based on who I was yesterday mm-hmm. or five years ago, et cetera. I think of um, Psalm. I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, I, it's, I think it's 30, 32 when David and Bathsheba, somewhere uh, Psalm in the Psalm 51. Where, yeah, where he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, that's yeah, kind of Yeah, he's confessing his happened. sin. Exactly. And, and notice the pattern of that Psalm, and that's a good one to go back to and go, let me notice the pattern. How does he deal with when he's confronted with sin? Because Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you know, through this incredible story, makes David realize he's he is violated. He sinned against God. And so you see how David goes through that confession process and he repents and he's like, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit. Help me to to love your ways and to walk in your ways. I confess that I have sinned against you. You only, God, have I sinned against, and I've recognized it. Now help me get on the right path. That That's actually a daily practice for the Christian. It should be. It should be a daily recognition of, man, I messed up again. But not so that we get downtrodden, but we, we constantly are remembering and realizing just how 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 much his grace extends, how merciful he is, and how vast his grace is for to, to restore a sinner like me. And we become the more and more aware of our sin. If we're not more and more aware of the grace and love of Christ, we will get depressed because yeah, every think, day you become more and more aware of your sin. Like you were saying earlier, a lot, a lot of times we focus on the sin and just mm-hmm. ruminate in that. And I imagine Jesus saying, hey, eyes on me. Exactly, yeah. That's a perfect way to think about it, that we can very easily fixate on the wrong thing, but he's like, hey, eyes up here, focus on me. Eyes right, eyes right, you know? And <clears throat> there's a there's a, a helpful realization. Sometimes we classify ourselves as Christians, and I don't think that's wrong. In the New Testament, that term's only used like three or four times. However, the term disciple is used almost 300 times. So we have to remember, am I a Christian, which is just a label, or am I a disciple, which is an identity? And a disciple is someone who walked every day with their rabbi, with their teacher, and it was a daily following, a daily recognition, learning every day his voice, a little, becoming a little bit more familiar with his voice, and then following his pattern of life. And that's I what we're that. doing. That's great. Because it's like, yeah. I, 
Yes, I'm a Christian, but it's like there's so many different religions, and I don't personally, I believe in Jesus. So mm-hmm. I love that. I love looking at myself as, as a disciple instead of a Christian because I called myself a Christian my whole life, but right. technically I wasn't saved till six months right. ago. It's easy to put a name tag on. It's very yeah. easy to put a name tag on. But a disciple is an identity and a lifestyle of every day. I'm, I'm following my teacher. And I'm yeah. doing what he says, and I'm imitating what he, how he lives. And that's what discipleship and I'm not the te- was. And I'm not the teacher. I'm a follower mm-hmm. of the teacher, which means I'm going to yep. trip. I'm going to fall. I'm going to have my face in the ground. But like I said, like look up and then just get back on that path. Yeah, that's spot on. Um, I think somewhere in the book of Acts, they're even referred to as followers of the way. And there was this indication that to to be a disciple of Jesus Christ was to be a follower of the way of his life and conduct and how he prescribed we ought to live. And it gives us indication that you're on a path and, and you're going down this path. And every once in a while, you'll misstep and step off the path, but you just get right back on the path. And if you, if you step off the path, it doesn't mean that you're not following him. It just needs, you just need to course correct. Right. And so a lot of times we'll, we'll live under just the label of Christian and then when we sin, the enemy likes to go, but are you really one? Because if you were a Christian, would you really struggle with that? And it's like, he didn't say we weren't going to struggle. No, the, the idea of being a disciple means that in the struggle, we acknowledge it and we turn back and we keep our eyes on him and we just keep following him. And we don't, we don't pine about the sin and the failure. We just move on. And we, we praise God for the grace that comes in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hey man, what a great episode. Yeah, we, we could wrap it up now. Let's time. pray it out. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to jump into uh, and finish out Acts 13. We were on last week with your pastor, Marshall, uh, and we started this conversation. And, and just to kind of give you some context, we followed Barnabas and Saul are traveling They've been set apart for, they, they were in Antioch, they were set apart for the work of ministry, and so the church in Antioch prayed, uh, laid hands on them, and sent them out to be missionaries. And so they're going out, and they arrive at a synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia. And they come to the synagogue, they're hanging out there, and the rulers of the synagogue see them seated there and presumably kind of identified who Paul was, because Paul was... I mean, he had been a religious leader. He was kind of a big deal before his conversion. And so the religious leaders indicated, hey, if you have any words of encouragement for us, why don't you uh, just stand up and, and share that? So after the Law and the Prophets are read out loud in the synagogue, Paul gets up and begins to preach. And he gives a, a very quick history lesson of Moses and David and all of the, you know, the the king, the the primary king of Israel's history, and then the primary uh, prophet, right, uh, Moses, who delivered the law. And he gets up and he preaches the gospel and he brings it right to Jesus. And he's like, okay, here's, here's the deal. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all that the prophets, all that Moses anticipated. And so he kind of wraps up. We're going to jump into verse 42, which kind of tells how did they respond to Paul's sharing in that moment. And so we'll kind of read the rest of that. So we're going to be in Acts 13, starting in verse 42, and we'll go through the end in verse 52. 
I'm reading out of the ESV translation. How about you? NIV? I'm in, ESV? Yep, no, I'm in the ESV. Again, okay. this week. Sweet. And so, uh, just for everyone's uh, awareness, we before we jumped on the podcast, started recording, uh, we spent some time in prayer, and I think that's a huge step as you take and read the Word of God that you ask for insight. This is a spiritual book. We believe this to be different than any other book ever, ever written or made, and that the author of it is, in fact, the God. He, he, the God of the universe has inspired certain men through the course of history uh, to write these words, and so these are the very product and desire that God wants to communicate about himself. He's revealed himself through the scriptures. So uh, we prayed to him and asked that he gives us insight. And so we'll jump in, starting in verse 42. So as they went out, this is Paul and Barnabas, and they were in the synagogue. So as they went out of the synagogue, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting of after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves, unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of their district, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. All right. So, uh, the scene. What do we know about the scene? What kind of, if you had to kind of put together kind of a timeline of events as they spent their time there, yeah, what do we understand? So, yeah, I mean, you tell me, but so Paul and Barnabas were speaking to Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, they were primarily probably at first in the synagogue uh, where the Jews were when okay. they first arrived. And that's when they're first preaching. And they finished preaching, and then it says in verse 42 where we started that as they went out from that moment, right, they're, they're there on the Sabbath, they're all gathered there, they just get done talking, and people are begging him, begging both of them, hey, will you come back next week? Can you come back? It'd be like church lets out on a Sunday and you have this this guest preacher who just just brings the heat and everyone's like, hey, can you do? Can you come back next week and do that again? So there's this excitement, right? And it says that many dev, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism. So you had some Jews, and then those who had been Gentiles but had converted to Judaism uh, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So there was this 
this realization that there are now some people that are saying, man, we believe what you just told us about Jesus, that he's the Messiah, that he's the fulfillment of the prophets, and he fulfills the law, we're in. And, he, and Paul and Barnabas are like, all right, continue in the grace of God. Like God has revealed this to you. This is awesome. Keep walking with Christ. Follow him. Be a disciple. And so the next week in verse 44, now the word's gotten around. They've been in this town, this city for now a week. And I'm pretty sure Paul and Barnabas are not just kind of chilling on the couch playing video games. They're probably talking to people. There's more and more people going, coming by and saying, hey, tell us again what you said and tell us more, tell us more. So this is starting to build momentum over the course of a week till the point that the next Sabbath comes and almost the whole city's there. They're like, we all want to hear this. So this is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles that are then in that crowd that second time around. So to your point, it isn't until that following week that there's this crowd that's probably a mixed crowd of both Jews and Gentiles that have now gathered to hear what they have to say. Yeah. So um, so where did yeah, the, I was just going to say, where's the jealousy coming from when the Jews saw the crowds? Is it because they didn't like that there was now Gentiles and just kind of a mixed group of people that were yeah, hearing you could, this? Um, yeah, that, I mean, I think you've, you've been able to, to nail the, the, the primary issue that's on display in this passage is the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. Here you have a, a, some, some leaders that have identified when Paul and Barnabas first show up, they invite them to share. They're like, hey, can you share some encouragement for us? So they do. And they're explaining from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ, all of this. And so then they see this growing popularity and probably some, this popularity is around teachings that would contradict what they maybe believe or have concluded, but we don't know the seed of jealousy exactly. It could be that there's Gentiles involved, that now this is, this is going to the Gentiles, but whatever the case, Paul identifies, well, it says Paul and Barnabas in verse 46 spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. So he's, they're saying, we came here, we came to the synagogue, and it was necessary that we reveal this. We try to compel you to believe this truth about Jesus Christ first, and we've done that. But you have now heaped up, it says, you have set this, you've thrust it aside, this truth that we've, we've shared with you that's been revealed by God, you've thrust it aside, so you've now judged yourself, you've condemned yourself, basically, and now we've done our due diligence, we came to you first, and now we're going to the Gentiles. We're going to share this truth that they're included, because this goes all the way back to when Peter receives the dream and the sheet gets let down and there's full of all kinds of animals that are unclean. And Peter finally realizes the gospel is intended to go beyond the Jews, that Jesus is in fact a savior for those outside of the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And this is all the way goes back to a fulfillment of the very first covenant promise that God made to Abraham. He says, through you, and through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That means that outside of Abraham, who becomes 
the Israelites, who becomes the Jewish people, outside of Abraham, all the other nations will be blessed or will receive salvation, which is ultimately foreshadowing Christ. And so Paul knows this, Barnabas knows this, and they're indicating in this moment, we came to you first, but you've heaped up judgment on yourself. You guys thrust aside, so now we're going to go to the Gentiles. So again, it's hard to say specifically what filled them with jealousy, but we know that it says in 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. So we don't know if it's the size of the crowds, if it's the popularity piece, like maybe they saw these guys were really popular and so that was je- you know, causing jealousy. Maybe it's the inclusion of Gentiles. We just don't know. Or all of the above. Right. It, yeah, I'm sure there, it was a mixture for sure. Um, it's interesting. He says the statement in 46, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. It's an interesting way to put it, that they have been presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have thrust it aside, judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. How do you, how does that land for you? The idea that they would be unworthy of eternal life it makes it seem like it can be earned or that you could become worthy yeah i mean does this go back to what we were saying earlier how you know they're very by the law yeah i mean there's a sense of that right that they would have identified that you are worthy of salvation if you maintain the law which i mean there's this reality that goes back to the mosaic covenant it goes back to the davidic covenant like when god made a covenant with moses and he says you are i want to make the the jews a people of my own possession and you will be my possession my my holy nation if you obey my commands so it becomes conditional like they they come by it honest that there was a sense in which god was saying you're my people if you can obey my commands and so he has to establish the whole sacri- animal sacrificial system so that there could be a substitute for them in order to be made right with God because he knew they were going to be habitual sinners. They were going to violate the law habitually. So he created a system where they could sacrifice animals in order to be reconciled to God. And so there's this, this foreshadowing that the reason why the law exists, as Paul says, is to show us our sin. It's kind of like if you if you lived out in the wilderness and grew up in the woods and never had a watch and you kind of kept track of the time and the days and the seasons by the moon and the sun and you're just kind of going with that. You don't know if you're if you're late for a three o'clock appointment because there's no three o'clock to you. There's just day and night. It isn't until you get a watch and you're told this is actually three o'clock at this time that you then are in a potential to be late or early to something, right? Until you have a specific way to measure time. And so prior to the law, they didn't know if they were on track or off track, but then God brings the law and says, here's the way you ought to live. Here's, here are the rules of right and wrong according to my design and perfect plan. And so now they're made aware, wow, we're, we fall short every day. We can't keep the rules. 
We could never keep the rules. And so the law was meant to make them aware of just how how far they have fallen short of his commands. And so that's creates the the opportunity to say, okay, we need a redeemer. We need somebody who can keep the law, who can follow God and and deliver us and that becomes Christ, right? And so yeah. they have they've rejected that. And in rejecting Christ, they have then been determined unworthy of eternal life because they can't earn it through the law. And the only way they could obtain it is through faith in Christ, and they have rejected that. So, yeah, you're right. It's, there's yeah, that's, a legal that's gotta component. Be a, that's got to be a lot where the jealousy is coming from is like, hey, we're dressing this way, we're acting this way, we're doing these things, and now you're going to yeah. be, you're, you're saying that these Gentiles, like these people, like, you know, whatever they look like and, and whatever kind of sinners they were, like you're saying the same thing, like that they can be saved and, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they have prioritized their external religious posture and being considered righteous in their own efforts for generations. And now all of a sudden you're saying those jokers over there who don't follow any of the rules, they're not even circumcised. And yet they're, they're, you're telling us they inherit the, the covenant promises of God that have been made to our forefathers? And they're just in, but just like that, there may have been some jealousy related to that. And the reality is, yeah, since the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth, this is what God had intended. And it, and throughout the new Testament, it's described as the mystery of the gospel is that it includes Gentiles and it always has included Gentiles. That was God's plan. That was plan a from the beginning. And so it makes sense when the Gentiles hear this, right? It's, uh, they quote um, from the Old Testament, I have made a, you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And then in 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And so there's this great celebration. The Gentiles are loving this. They're like, this is amazing. This is such good news. And then the word of the Lord begins to spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. And so there were obviously these women who had great influence, were of noble birth, probably of wealth. And then other leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas because they were rocking the boat. They were messing with the status quo. And so they, they become persecuted. And they were driven out, but Paul and Barnabas, they shake the dust from their feet, and then they went to Iconium. And there's a sense in which that, the shaking the dust from your feet was kind of a, a way to symbolize that you have done what you can do, and shaking the, the dust from your feet meant that you're not responsible for them anymore. You've done what you can do, you can move on, and they've made their own bed, and you've done all that you can do. And so they kind of said, okay, we're done here, which is interesting. Uh, as you as you kind of look at this, all of these things, you know, what what tends to kind of resonate either as, as a primary question or maybe as just kind of a, wow, that's interesting. 
or maybe even an aha moment as you look at this text? Um, I don't know. I like the part where, you know, the gen- 48, where the Gentiles heard this and began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And also the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I just love how, you know, all the glory is going back to Jesus. Um, on the ed- and as many as were appointed to eternal yeah. life believed. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. Like that just is just like pre chosen, whoever God had preordained. Yeah, I think it, it indicates that there is this sense in which Paul and Barnabas are doing the work that God had called them to do. Because at the beginning of 13, we understand that the Holy Spirit spoke to the church at Antioch and said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. So the work that they've been called to is to faithfully preach the gospel wherever they go. Whether it's in the synagogues, it's in the public square, they just preach. So their success is not determined by how many converts or how many people come to faith. What this indicates is that their responsibility is to preach the good news but we see here that there is a, a divine activity that causes the people that are appointed to eternal life to then respond to that gospel. And that's a, that's a spiritual thing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to preach the gospel. But they're yeah, not that's determined successful. If there's 10 people or 10 hundred people, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're doing that's what they're supposed to do. That's encouraging for us. Right? You know, where it's like, hey, man, it's just our job to spread the good news and plant seeds, you know, and we, you know, because personally, sometimes I get caught up and it's like, why is my buddy not coming to church? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, just come like, this is, this is the best thing that you could ever do. And it's frustrating, but it's, it's encouraging hearing stuff like this, where it's like, it's out of our hands, like, spread mm-hmm. the good news, plant the seed, keep encouraging, keep being a light. Um, but as, yeah, as, I think, as many as we're appointed to eternal life, like that's God's, that's God's, that's deal. God's realm. Yeah. Yeah. Conversion is God's deal and yeah. uh, faithful witness, faithful proclamation. That's our deal. Uh, we, we can control our level of faithfulness and obedience. We can't control conversion rates or number of baptisms uh, that's his realm. And so I think it's co- it's so important to keep ourselves with the right perspective that as a disciple, right, as a follower of Christ, I'm simply going to proclaim the truth of who he is. I'm going to try to model the lifestyle of following him. And that's what I can control. But the amount of people that convert, I, I have no control over. I can't manipulate it. I can't. It's not a matter of my winsome persuasion it's a matter of i'm faithful to tell the story and it's god's realm to convert and to change hearts yeah yeah, yeah. has nothing to do with and that there's anyway. a, a particular responsibility on them too right that paul and barnabas went and the synagogue leaders were like we you know he they condemned they said you've you've judged yourself you've thrust aside this truth that's on you You've rejected him. And so there is this, there isn't an absence of personal accountability in terms of responding to the truth, but that's not on us to, be, to proclaim it. 
we don't have to follow up and go, well, you got to believe, you got to believe. Like at some point they preached the good news. As many as were appointed believed and they were able to go, we've done our job here. We've dust off our feet and we move on. We, the rest is up to the Lord, hmm. which is, it's very freeing. There's very liberating. Yeah, pressure's off. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I think for in the same way that you've articulated, there's a sense of seeing their faithfulness to preach and and to do what they can uh, with the gifts that they have, opportunities they have, and then they leave the rest to the Lord. I think that's that's a good word for us today, and that as a disciple, it's just about daily deciding to follow Him and be faithful to imitate him, to live according to the ways that he's prescribed. And in the moments that I don't, okay, I acknowledge that and I get back on track, get back on the path and I just keep following him. Yeah, that's good. All righty, any last words? Any last thoughts? No, uh, just going back to the, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, it's like, just grateful that for some re- <laughs> yeah. for some reason he knows my name and yeah. appointed me um stupid sinner like me yeah and i think your attitude reflects the attitude we ought to have which is one of humility not of pride i don't think that that doctrine of sovereignty and election should be a source for people to go, man, look at me. I'm something special. God's lucky to have me on his team. But it's a, man, I don't know. I don't know why. And all I can do is be grateful. Like that's yep. the that's the posture. Yeah. Uh, so good. That's a good word. Well, I uh, want to encourage everybody out there, if, if there's anything that we said uh, or got into here that provoked questions for you, I would encourage you, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. I can get those questions onto Tyler if you have specific questions for him, for his journey, for his walk. Uh, he He's more than willing to answer those questions. And I want to encourage folks out there that if there is a conversation that this has provoked, to do that in the comments. It's a great opportunity for people to dialogue and engage in the conversation around Scripture because uh, again, my, I'm trying to, and my goal is to create a movement of people that would take and read God's word, to wrestle with it, to converse about it, uh, and to try to live in light of this truth and this re- reality that's been revealed to us as to who Jesus Christ is. What you've observed it, with Tyler and I are two brothers that are united in Christ, that we share the same blood, and that is the blood of Christ that covers us and makes us new creations and we believe that Jesus physically lived. He, he lived in history. He walked this earth perfectly. He died and he rose again, proving that he is in fact the son of God, that Jesus Christ is God and his death on the cross is sufficient for our sins, for all of our sins. And so we have been made new creations. And you've heard us talk about the difference in being labeled a Christian versus living as a disciple. And there is a difference. And we're two guys just trying to to walk daily with our teacher, with our rabbi, and to follow in his footsteps and to be led by him. And uh, I want to encourage if anyone out there 
is on the fence uh, about that kind of decision, today could be the day of salvation. There is no better time than the present. Whenever you're hearing this, whenever you're watching this, that today you can start to follow Christ. And it's as simple as recognizing that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God. Confess with your mouth that he raised, he was risen from the dead and believe in your heart that he is he is handled all of your sins, that he took all of your sin, past, present, future, on himself and absorbed the wrath of God that we deserved because of our rebellion and our sin. And now he's made us new creations. It's as simple as that. Uh, you can you can pray and receive Christ now and, and be one of those, like those in Antioch, Pisidia, that heard the good news from Paul and Barnabas and that day believed. And Paul told them, continue in the grace of God. That means continue living your life with the grace of God covering you. You no longer have to manufacture righteousness or, or make yourself good enough for God. Jesus has done that with his death on the cross and his resurrection. And all you have to do is receive by faith. And that's how we're saved. So uh, thank you again, Tyler, for joining. Love having you on, brother. Look forward to, to having you back here in a few weeks. I love it, man. It's one of my favorite days of the month. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Everyone out there, go take and read the Word of God. Blessings. Blessings.